Well, this morning we begin a new series that we have entitled Out of Darkness. It's going to be a six-week study from the book of Job. So I would encourage you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job. Job, the first chapter. It's your Bibles, your electronic devices, the pew Bible that's in front of you. Over the course of these six weeks, we're going to be talking about suffering in the world. That's our topic for this morning. And then next week, we're going to talk about choosing faith in the midst of suffering. And then we're going to talk about our feelings are real when we're going through suffering or experiencing evil. The, the feelings that we have are real. Then we're going to talk about bad counsel. Job has three individuals that come to him to encourage him, to lift him up. But there's some really bad counsel that they give to him. And then we'll talk about how to respond to God. And then we'll see the restoration of Job. The reality is that evil has touched all of our lives in some way. And the book of Job is really a discussion of the reasons why mankind experiences suffering even when we don't seem to think that we deserve it. Now, how has evil touched our church body? And this isn't comprehensive, but just think of different ways in which people within this body of believers has been touched by evil. There are some of us who have been lied about, who have been slandered, There are people within this body who have been financially scammed. Uh, People within our body who have seen their marriage partner commit adultery. Some within our body have been physically attacked. And they continue to this day to suffer consequences from the fact that someone attacked them. Some have been abused by family members. Some have seen their marriage partner just walk out the door without giving any reasons whatsoever, just saying, I'm through, and they're gone. There are people within this body who have wrestled with addictions or who have family members who have wrestled with addictions, be that prescription drugs, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of different addictions. There are people within this body who have been touched by abortion in that they have had a family member have an abortion and the hurt that that brings within the family. Most of us have experienced the death of a loved one. We've seen many funerals in our church already early in this year And there are those over the course of the last year who have seen loved ones, in some cases Christians, that God has taken home to be with him. There are people within our body who struggle with disabilities or have children who are suffering with disabilities, whether those be physical disabilities or mental disabilities. We have people within our body with physical issues, You know, some of us are, as we get a little bit older, even experiencing uh, those pains that come with growing old. 
We have people in our body who have had loved ones who've committed suicide. And then, of course, we have that uh, big category that the world refers to as natural disasters. Now, God never calls them that in his word, but but be it a tornado, a hurricane, an earthquake, and all the devastating damages that go with that, that has touched people within our own body. The overwhelming majority of Christians who suffer with doubts or have significant doubts about their faith do so because of pain and suffering they've experienced in their own life or evil that they've seen in the world. So it's important for us to address this whole issue of evil. So follow along in your Bibles as I read And I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture this morning because I think it's important for us to get the whole context of what we're going to be talking about here this morning. Job chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God? For no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them 
and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along, came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Quite a story, isn't it? We think about how evil has touched our lives. 
We think of the pain and suffering that we have endured. But think of all that Job went through. I mean, let's, let's consider this one. First of all, we'll see how evil has touched Job's life. He was slandered. In verses 9 to 11, Satan tells God, is there not a reason why Job serves you? It's because you put a hedge around him. Take away the hedge and he'll, he'll curse you. He'll sin against you. You have so protected him. That's the only reason that Job serves you. He says in verse 11, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Even later, when that does not cause Job to curse God to his face, the second time that Satan is there before God and they're discussing Job, remember what Satan says to him? Skin for skin. Yep. Job will serve you even though he's lost his possessions, but we haven't touched, you haven't allowed me to touch him. Let me touch him. Let me afflict him physically. And he will curse you to your face. Job is slandered by Satan. Job loses his possessions in verses 13 to 17. Now, think about this. All in one day, this would be a real load to deal with if it happened over a period of time. And you think you've had a bad day? Think of that one day and all that happened with Job. On one day, he receives a messenger who escapes, and he tells him, that you have lost your possessions. And one after one after one, they come. And let's remember what he's lost because Job was a rich man. He ends up losing 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And all of his servants, except those that were able to escape, to come and tell him the evil that had happened. And then on top of that, and did you notice how this was the news that the last messenger brought? In addition to his possessions, he had ten children die in one day, in one event. Seven sons, three daughters. In a moment, they've all been taken away. He's lost his possessions. He loses his children. And then he loses his health. Satan afflicts him. And we see in verses 7 and 8 that he has sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And he's sitting in ashes with a, with a piece of clay of a broken pot, and he's scratching himself. He is itching so badly. 
And then he loses his wife's support. This is in verse 9. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Now let's not be real hard on Mrs. Job for a second here. All her possessions are gone. Her lifestyle is totally gone. She has buried 10 children. And she sees her husband being afflicted. Imagine the grief and the emotions and the feelings that she is going through as well. See, though Satan's attacks have been centered on Job, it also affects Job's wife. And out of her her grief and her pain and her suffering, I believe these are her emotions speaking out. Curse God and die. Evil is definitely touched Job's life. But it is not because Job has done something wrong. Let's look at the character of Job. Look at how he is painted here in the Scripture. First of all, he is called in chapter 1, in verse 1 and in verse 8, that he is blameless and upright. Down in verse 8, The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. It might be something for others to say about Job, you are blameless and you are upright, but it's God who's saying that Job is blameless and upright. He's a man who feared God, we're told in verse 1. He's a man that we're told in verse 1, turned away from evil. He's a man that is not only spiritual in his own life, but he's the spiritual leader of his home. In verses, uh, in verse 5, we're told that Job was so concerned about the welfare of his children that whenever they had their feasts, he would offer sacrifices for them lest they in some way may have done something wrong or sinned against God. He is the spiritual leader of his family. Here is a man who worshiped in spite of loss. He's lost everything, we're told. All of his possessions... Ten children have died, and then notice what verse 20 tells us of chapter 1. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're told that this man maintains his integrity in spite of his loss. Chapter 2, verse 3. And once again, this is God speaking. 
Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity. He's a man that stays true to what he believes in spite of his loss. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, notice he's a man who does not sin with his lips. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't speak evil of God. He does not sin with his lips. Now, we look at this and consider this, and we see this problem of evil. And others within the Scripture have wrestled with this problem of evil. In Habakkuk chapter 1, in verses 2 and 4, Habakkuk writes this, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk looks at this and wonders trying to figure it all out. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about us as believers suffering. And he says this, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, notice you suffer for doing what? Good and endure it. This is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And then we go all the way to the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 6, in verses 9 and 10, we read this. And this event will happen in the future. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord? Holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Why? Why is there evil in our world? Why does it seem that God has not moved? Why does it seem that God, who has the ability to do so, has done nothing? Why would he allow all of this to happen to Job? Why is there all the evil in our world today? We wrestle with that question of why does God allow bad things to happen to those who we would consider to be good? Well, this morning we're going to wrestle with this a little bit and see if we cannot come up with an answer to this problem of evil. 
All right, if we kind of put the intellectual problem of evil up, we would look at it this way. All right, premise number one, God is all good. He's omnibenevolent. He is all good. Premise two, God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Premise number three, suffering and evil exist. Well, some look at this, and as we wrestle with it strictly, intellectually, our conclusion would be uh, premise one, two, and three cannot all be true. Premise three contradicts premises one and two. So what's our solution to this? And there are various solutions that have been suggested for the problem of evil. Uh, Solution number one. God is not all good. He's not omnibenevolent. And the conclusion that they come to is they believe in an all-powerful God, a God who is able to do anything, but he cannot be all good because God enjoys to bring about suffering and pain for no reason at all. And see, if God were good, he would not do that or allow that. Solution number two, God is not all-powerful. In solution number two, they believe in a God who's all good. But he just doesn't have the power or he chooses not to use his power. He puts restraints upon himself Therefore, God cannot stop all suffering and evil. Well, then there's solution number three that's offered. God is all good, omnibenevolent. And God is all powerful. That's why suffering and evil don't exist. You see, their conclusion is that suffering and evil are illusions we create with our own mind. To eradicate them, we must deny their existence. This is kind of the view of Christian sciences in their view, in their beliefs. It doesn't really exist. You know, your head's hurting you, you have a headache, you don't need to take Advil. It's really not hurting, you just think it's hurting. Get, get rid of that thought in your mind, because it's really not hurting. All these evil things that we've talked about that have touched our lives, none of them are true. None of that has really happened. You've just thought that they've happened. And if you would just eradicate those thoughts, it would all go away. Then we have solution number four which would be the solution of the atheists. Their view would be there is no God, so God is not all good. He's not omnibenevolent, and he is not all powerful because he doesn't even exist. Now, suffering and evil exist. We can see that in our world. 
And their conclusion is, an all-good, all-powerful God could not exist since there is so much suffering and evil in the world. If he did, he would eradicate the world of evil. Now those are various solutions that are presented to this problem of evil. But let's look at the Christian response. The Christian response, we realize that our God is all good. And we recognize that our God is all powerful. And we also recognize that that suffering and evil exist in our world. The Bible is clear that God has all power. 56 times in the Bible, God is called almighty. In Genesis 17, 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 18, we read, I will be a father to you, and, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We serve an Almighty God who has all power. We also serve a God who is omnibenevolent. He is all good. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Back in Exodus chapter 33, Moses wanted God to show him his glory. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my what? All my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. We serve a God who is all good, we serve a God who is all powerful, and yet suffering and evil exists in our world. So, what's the conclusion? God has good reasons for allowing suffering and evil to exist. He uses suffering and evil to accomplish a greater good, even if we never know exactly what that reason is. We see that displayed in the Scriptures. Back in Genesis, we have the story of Joseph, who his brother sold into slavery And later on, they are saved because Joseph becomes number two in the land of Egypt. And they're worried at that point what Joseph will do to them. And in Genesis chapter 50, in verses 19 to 20, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am, in the am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what, he is, what is now being done in the saving of many lives. 
And so he tells them they don't need to be afraid. He's not going to take vengeance out on them. In John chapter 9, in verses 1 uh, through 3, Jesus is with his disciples, and they see a man that was born blind. And it says, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then over in Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, we are told that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, the attacks on Job from Satan were out of malice on the part of Satan. But the Lord allowed them out of a loving concern for his glory. God, now notice, and we we need to understand this, nothing happens that God doesn't allow it. But it doesn't mean that was God's design. God, when he created us as individuals, allowed us to make choices in our lives, and man chose to sin against God. See, one of the things that we need to remember, the most evil, the heaviest load, was placed on the best of all of us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing that happened to him was fair. The way he was treated was sinful by those who treated him in that way and in the way that we treat him. None of that was deserved by him. But he took our place. And the Father allowed that to happen for a great plan. And that plan is the salvation of all who will put their faith and trust in him. Earlier this year, I participated in the funeral service of a member of our church, Stuart Lorenzen. Stuart had a long battle with cancer over the last seven or eight years before the Lord took him home. Five years ago, as Stuart and I were uh, going back and forth, talking together about things and Uh, We were talking about some things in text messaging. He wrote this to me. This is five years before the Lord took him home. Butch, one more thought. If I could in my carnality flip a switch and be healed, but it would mean that God would not guide my path anymore, would I do it? No way. The cancer is for my good and his glory. Why? As you know, because he said it. I am at best one-dimensional. However, he is infinite in all things. I have to trust in that. He can heal me. In that I have no doubt at all. My faith is there. However, I only want healing If he does, if he is glorified, 
with my journey and potential demise, then I'm all in. In the meantime, I will still add to my earthly ministry to-do list. The attitude of worshiping God in spite of the evil that touched his life.